Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Glad you have tuned in today. Uh, we Sometimes the hours that we do here on the program are uh, thematically put together, and this hour is no exception. What happens when you are trying to solve the world's problems, like we always do here every day on the Bottom Line Show? And we're trying to solve the world's problems, and then you run into uh, you run into a conflict, and the conflict is that somebody didn't have the whole truth. You know, th- this happens a lot for those of us on the conservative side of the equation when we run into people who are progressives, for example. And the progressives will, um, you know, oftentimes go with things that are uh, emotionally based and, and they, they were good intentions. But at the end of the day, to be perfectly honest with you, a lot of times they just aren't followed through properly. I was reading a fascinating article not too long ago. Someone was lamenting the fact that there's so much conservative talk radio on the airwaves and there's very little liberal or progressive talk radio. Why is that? I can tell you the answer simply if you want to know. I mean, you can figure it out on your own. And the reason is because when it comes to the two extremes, you know, fundamentalist right or progressive left, there are going to be holes in either of those arguments because that's how you sensationalize a discussion. You look at what you look at a vehicle, for example, and say that there's a dent in one of the fenders, and all of a sudden it's like this car's ruined because see, look at this dent, and then. You take a step back objectively and look at it and say, well, maybe it's not ruined. The one note argument that gets the most attention are the people who scream and yell and fuss and feud. You know, Israel, for example. Um, (laughs) I came across this report the other night. There's a guy by the name of Sean King. And Sean King has been uh, notable for many years as a supporter of African-American issues, uh, NAACP stuff, Black Lives Matter stuff, et cetera, et cetera. It's just one problem. Sean King is white, and he pretends to be black. Gets his hair cut a certain way, wears the glasses a certain way, dresses and talks a certain way. Uh, remember the woman in Washington State years ago, Rachel Dolezal, I think was her name? This is a woman who lived in Spokane, Washington, and um, had the kind of frizzy, curly hair, uh, kind of freckle face, but you know, she looked like a, a light-skinned African-American was the uh, the director of the NAACP Spokane chapter until someone found some high school yearbook pictures of her and her family. And it turns out that she's white and she just deeply identified with the African-American community. Well, there's a small problem there now, isn't it? I mean, there's a, well, maybe it's a bigger problem. Somebody who is presenting themselves as identifying as this, you know, culture, ethnicity, religion, whatever it is, and then it turns out they're not. A good conservative analyst should be able to look at something like that and say, okay, well, we have a problem. And the problem is we're not getting the whole story. One of the reasons we do analysis, balance, and clarity here on the Bottom Line Show, which leads to uh, the ABC part of it, leads to DEF, which is discernment, edification, and fruitfulness. We talk a lot about the ABCs because no one says, hey, did you listen to the DEFs today here on the Bottom Line Show? The ABCs lead to the DEFs. Okay, so it's analysis where you get the whole story as best you can, uh, find out what's really going on. Balance, you get it from a lot of different angles, trust me. Past couple of days, I've watched more Politico and MSNBC than I care to, but I was doing my due diligence on the Jenna Ellis story. That was a tough one to watch. I mean, it was really, quite frankly, conservative sites weren't posting the entire 23 minutes of her court proceedings, but MSNBC did. 
So if you where I got that audio from or where Tamara pulled the minute and a half clip uh, came from a different source. But the original, you know, C-SPAN version of that came from MSNBC, which I often joke about is more stuff nobody cares about. Borrow that line from the great Michael Medved. In this case, I cared about it and the conservative sites weren't posting anything about it. I wanted to see what the hearing was about. I wanted to hear what she said. As a matter of fact, there was one port where the judge thanked her for giving a statement. She read about a minute and 20 statement uh, that had been submitted to the court and she wanted it entered into the public record. And he said, thank you for doing that. It's not often that we have a defendant in a case like this, especially someone in the legal world, entering this as evidence. Basically her saying, look, here's the deal. I was wrong. I was swept up in the you know enthusiasm of the moment and I was trusting that I'm the youngest attorney in there. Everybody's older than me. Everybody's more experienced than me. And I was trusting them when they said, oh, yeah, we can do this. You know, and, and I, I, I will stand by my uh, friendship with uh, John Eastman, uh, professional friendship. I mean, we don't hang out together or whatever, but it goes back to the 2012 election. I mean, bottom line show was born in 2011. And John actually came down on election night and hung out with us in the uh, studio. He was mulling a run for secretary of state. He had... We'd found uh, we were a pretty friendly uh, voice for him, a friendly platform, and he was considering that run. Elizabeth Emkin was running to try to unseat Barbara Boxer or Diane Feinstein, I don't remember which one, and she um, got trounced handily. We tried, we tried, we tried. But when John Eastman came on this program after, I think it was uh, Newsweek or CNN, somebody was trying to run a hit piece, maybe it was Time, was trying to run a hit piece on him saying he was the mastermind behind January 6th, and they found an old draft of, uh, you know, what the proposal was to President Trump at the time for him to potentially overturn the election. I looked at that. I mean, I've got the original still on my desktop. And when you look at that original, what we see is um, we see the scenarios that could have potentially played out. But there's nowhere in there where John Eastman says, this is how we're going to rule the country and this is how we're going to overthrow everything and et cetera, et cetera. You had to do the analysis, balance and clarity part to get to the point where you're actually looking at what's real and making your best decision based on that. In the case of Jenna Ellis, this is a young woman who graduated from the University of Richmond Law School in 2011, I believe. Uh, she took her master's thesis, or what would have been a master's thesis, and published it on her own, paying her own way, a book called The Legal Basis for a Moral uh, Constitution. Hired a publicist publicist reached out to me and said, what do you think of this? I read through a sample of it. I liked it. We had Jenna on the program and we started from there. The next four years, we had a good working relationship. When I had open heart surgery, she filled in for me. I mean, we went through all that. She got caught up in the hype and the hoopla and guys like Rudy Giuliani telling her, oh yeah, we could do this. We could do this. And she literally said to the court, I want this entered into the record. I was wrong. I should have done my due diligence. I have a lot of respect for people who could at least do that mea culpa, not because they're trying to lighten the load for themselves in terms of what's going on. I mean, she's got five years probation, a $5,000 fine. Uh, there was a discussion at the end of the whole deal as to whether or not she'd be a flight risk and could go back to her home in Florida. But on the left, people seem to just do this all the time because it's part and parcel with trying to get what they want. No conscience. I had a friend who used to say, you know, no brain, no headache. Uh, but it, it's true. And something tells me that in the scientific community, we're running into a big problem when it comes to basically anything simply because we're not doing science the way we've been told science is to be done. Science is to be done in an exploratory fashion. It's supposed to be tested. It's supposed to be proven. 
or disproven, as the case may be. It's not supposed to be agenda-driven to where somebody would say, hey, look, I can't get any funding for my report. I can't get any money for my study if I don't come up with the result that the government wants me to come up with. I mean, it's amazing, just in the limited knowledge I have of people who work in the scientific community, largely through my daughter Kaylee, how many people will wind up doing scientific research to match the amount of the grant that they can potentially get from the federal government. And one of the biggest areas where this is happening, unfortunately, is climate change. And the reason I say unfortunately is because the climate is changing all the time. I don't believe in the death gloom, we're going to melt to death one day and freeze to death the next mentality. The climate is constantly in a state of flux. The question is, what are we as humans, I think we as Christians, can parse out the argument that says, hey, look, we're not going to get into the political hype. We're not getting into zero population growth, blah, 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 blah. But we have a biblical mandate from Genesis 1 and 2 to care for creation. So we have a responsibility to know how bad things really are and what we can do to prevent it from getting worse. And one of the areas that you hear, you know, fossil fuels this and, you know, brush fires that and et cetera, et cetera. And you have to wonder, well, how much of this is because we really actually have these problems? I think this is a fair question to ask. And how much of this is because that's where the money is. The federal government's earmarked tens of billions of dollars. All these research universities want a piece of the pie, and that's what they do. Well, here's a case in point. Uh, a scientist from California who is a lecturer at Johns Hopkins University. University. Guy has a, earned his doctorate in earth and climate sciences. What recently posted in an online article, there's a place called the Free Press and another, uh, just a blog post. All of these are highlighted. They're, they're hot keyed in the article that we'll post at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Patrick T. Brown has admitted that he, quote unquote, lift out the full truth about climate change, uh, blaming it on primarily on human causes, simply because he wanted to get a study published in a prestigious scientific journal. Now, the two big kahunas, I have learned this through my science daughter, the editors of Nature Magazine and Science Magazine. If you get something published in those, there are some smaller, low-budget, off-brand versions of these types of uh, publications. But if you get your work done there, it's kind of like if you're a New York Times bestseller, you're really doing something, right? Well, if you get published in these journals, then people really pay attention to you and it ups the ante in terms of you being able to say, I'm worthy of this funding. But it's interesting, in the study that he published in Nature magazine on August the 30th of this year, he claimed, apparently without any sort of justification, that the devastating fires in California that we've seen recently, and of course this past summer in Maui, remember that one? Those were all the result of climate change. And because he wrote these reports and got them published in two of the biggest shot publications you could get, he wound up with lots of grant money. Well, now he's given a couple of articles. It's a blog post where he says, look, I basically, I'm not saying I made this up. I just left out a lot of information that would give you a different opinion about this. And he said, and here's the, it says, I distorted my findings because the editors of these journals have made it abundantly clear, both by what they publish and what they reject, that they want climate papers that support certain pre-approved narratives, even when those narratives come at the expense of broader knowledge for all of society. That's a direct quote from an interview he gave to the Free Press publication. Here's his uh, 
post on X, a.k.a. Twitter. Last week, I described our paper on climate change and wildfires. Got a link for the article. I'm very proud of the research overall, but I want to talk about how molding research presentations for high-profile journals can reduce their usefulness and actually mislead the public. Then he put another tweet up that said, we have a paper out today in Nature on the role that human-caused climate change is playing in changes in extreme wildfire behavior at the uh, uh, daily timescale in California. And talking about how climate warming increases daily wildfire risk, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> he says, what we did here is we were somewhat selective in the information that we actually put up. Somewhat selective? He said he's not disowning the paper, he's not disowning the work, but by criticizing how he chose to approach the piece, but rather he says it's not as useful as it could have been. You might be wondering at this point why I'm disowning my paper. Well, I'm not. I think it advances our understanding of climate change's role in day-to-day -day wildfire behavior. It's just that the process of customizing the research for an eminent journal caused it to be less than it could have been. What was the statement that he used here? Uh, he wrote that the study didn't look for, at poor forest management. It didn't look at other factors that are just as important as fire behavior because he knew it would detract from the clean narrative centered on the negative impact of climate change and thus decrease the odds that the paper would pass muster with nature's editors and reviewers. He added such bias in climate science misinforms the public and makes practical solutions more difficult to achieve. I think the term he used was narrow-focused. Amazing that somebody actually had the, uh, uh, the, the courage to actually call out what's really happening here. What happens when we don't tell the whole truth about a subject like this? Well, you wind up with a guy, a leading scientist, actually having come back and saying, we kind of messed up. Now let me kind of turn the tables on this conversation. We know this happens on the left, but is it possible that it happens in the church as well? Is it possible when it comes to something, say, the sanctity of human life, that we tell a good story, a compelling story, but we don't necessarily tell the whole story? Marisol Maldonado Rodriguez knows what it's like to grow up in a single-parent home. She knows what it's like to have uh, a mom who considered abortion. She knows what it's like to see what, uh, how people fight for the sanctity of human life to keep babies alive. But... She also knows what it's like to see the efforts kind of fall short because that's pretty much where they begin and end. She's written a brand new book about how we can expand the pro-life movement to make it actually really more pro-life. It's a book called Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. Fascinating book and a great conversation awaits us. Marisol Maldonado Rodriguez joins me next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. 
After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we have a Sanctity of Life segment that I think is going to offer a lot of much-needed perspective for a lot of people who get into the pro-life community and they start thinking in terms of how do we save babies' lives and thinking that's about as far as it goes, but then not realizing that there is, I mean, we're literally talking about from conception until what I like to call graduation uh, with regard to what it means to be pro-life. And joining me today here on the program is Marisol Maldonado-Rodriguez, who's the co-founder of Renew Life Center. And the goal, the ministry of Renew Life Center is, as they put it, to pick up where pregnancy resource centers often leave off in order to support women and to help them overcome things like generational poverty. She knows a thing or two about that issue, and she's written a book on this topic that's literally just a a powerful title called Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marisol Rodriguez, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, glad to have you here because now as a married mom of four, but realizing that, you know, the way things started out for you and they start out for a lot of women and a lot of, uh, you know, people who come from generational poverty, uh, oftentimes the choices seem kind of narrow. And a lot of times that's then what happens to pro-life ministry. It becomes very narrow. It becomes very focused on, you know, uh, are you going to keep the kid or you're not going to keep the kid? You have a much more holistic approach to this, which you do at the Renew Center. Give us first and foremost just a little bit about your background, about why this ministry is so important to you. Okay. Well, I was born uh, one of eight children to a single mother. Mm. And, um, and and I would say she was serially single. So mm-hmm. obviously she wasn't single the whole time. But um, right. and, and, you know, her life very much reflected that women that come to the center. And I didn't realize that. Um, God opened my eyes to that um, later on in the ministry. But I was I started out working at a pregnancy resource center, actually volunteering. And then like five years, seven years in that volunteer role, I became the director of that center. Mm-hmm. And it was being the director of the center where the Lord began to open my eyes to the bigger picture, what was happening, because as a volunteer, you're only there like a couple of hours once a week. You see such mm-hmm. a small part of the ministry. Yeah. But when it becomes your full-time job, you kind of get a different perspective. And it wasn't just that it was full-time, but it was also my background, um, like how I grew up. And it happened to be in the town, in the city I grew up in. Oh, so my. The Lord brought me, <laughs> yeah, it's like the Lord brought me back there after leaving there. Um, the Lord brought me back. And it was funny because he brought me back kicking and screaming because I was like, Lord, I just left there. You know, right. I just got out of poverty. Why do I have to go back? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, he took me back. And, and so so that said, as I started seeing um, uh, more of the struggle that was happening, it wasn't temporary. It wasn't just her decision. Now, it wasn't just her first year. It was the second year, the third year, the mm-hmm. fifth, the and uh, like you said, until graduation and maybe even afterwards, she had this long journey to walk that she committed to. Um, and I just felt that I needed to increase my commitment to her as well mm-hmm. as the person counseling her to carry this child. And 
And um, oftentimes these women don't have the support system you and I might have, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they don't have the education, the support system, the church family. There's there's a big hole. There's a big emptiness in her life. And um, and and I think that it's a perfect opportunity for us followers of Jesus Christ to really step into that and not only share our faith, but share whatever expertise we have. It may be just raising children. It may be, Mm -hmm. you know, filling out a job application, opening a bank account, um, getting a driver's license. Those are basic things that oftentimes these women need help with. And we have the skills to do that. Yeah. Marisol Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Beyond Her Yes, and we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I appreciate the practical side of what you're talking about, Marisol. And also, thank you for your humility and vulnerability and saying, Lord, I don't want this ministry. Do I have to go back into this? Because let's face it, oftentimes when you think about overcoming something, the first thing you think of is now I've got this platform to go bigger and better. And God says, no, you're perfectly trained for this life. But you understand, a, a dear friend of mine, who's part of a homeless outreach, that's her whole process too, is to say, hey, look, there are a lot of people who are on the street who qualify for social security and disability and housing benefits don't even know it. You know, I mean, quite frankly, they're just wandering around and no one's, it's kind of like if you just give them a roof over their head for the night and maybe a hot meal, then you just keep repeating the cycle. But if you can help them get into transitional housing or something like that, then there's so much more to it. Uh, talk. You mentioned year two, year three and those things. Talk about some of the tangible ways that those of us who do say I'm pro-life and I support the pro-life community can reach out because the Pregnancy Resource Center has been very well established. I know the, the leftists who are big abortion advocates really hate pregnancy resource centers for showing ultrasound mm-hmm. pictures and all those types of things. But a good pregnancy resource center is going to be launching into a ministry that's beyond just saying, say yes to keeping your child. Talk about some of the ways that uh, a good pregnancy resource center will, you know, be staffed up with the types of things you were talking about. Well, you know, I often say that, you know, the pregnancy center does a great job at what it does. And some pregnancy centers may have the resources to staff up, like you said, and mm-hmm. do some of the things I'm about to tell you. And others may not. And um, and also others may feel it's not their mission because it's really not their mission. You know, pregnant mm-hmm. resources have a, a, a focused mission, and, and that is, you know, the, the pro-life counseling aspect and, and choosing life aspect of it. I think that more it's um, a role, the role of the church, of the local church, to come alongside the Pregnancy Resource Center to provide these additional things. And maybe they could do it by providing additional funding so they can staff up and maybe bring in more staff to do this. But um, I don't want to put another load on top of the Pregnancy Resource Center. I think that it has to be spread out. But the type of um, work that we do specifically is, is really focused on education and mentoring because to get out of poverty, generational poverty specifically, mm-hmm. there's a lot that you need to be taught because you're not taught that growing up. So as you grow up, and I'll give you this example, as you grow up in a middle-class environment, your children naturally from the cradle are picking up um, education. They're picking up skills. They're picking up concepts concepts that are taught in their home just by living it out. Dad gets Mm. up, goes to work, puts on his tie. You know, he's always excited about his promotion. You know, mom is filling out applications and, and going to the bank. So you see how the world operates in that environment, and you learn that. But when you come from generational poverty, you're not seeing that. You're not seeing dad go to work. You're not seeing mom, you know, 
do, you know, work on the computer or, you know, have a bank account. You don't see those things. So they actually, believe it or not, in 2023, I work with people who've never had a bank account. They're 30, 40 wow. years old. Never, never had a bank account because it's, it's, it's not a part of their life. And so it's, um, you wouldn't think that's happening in the United mm-hmm. States of America, but mm-hmm. it is absolutely true. I wow. mean, when you grow up in gen- generational poverty, you really feel outside of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't feel a part of it um, because a lot of it is unknown to you. So, uh, so a lot of what we do is education, meaning teaching people from generational poverty what they're missing, what the missing link is. It's a knowledge gap because we just don't want to give them resources that keep them perpetually in need. We want to give them the skill set so that they can go out there and get their own resources. And the only way to do that is by helping them become part of the bigger community, the bigger society that can fill out an application, go to college, um, can get a job, sit comfortably at a job interview, get hired and feel comfortable like you belong in this professional environment Mm -hmm. because Mm – you know, oftentimes you don't feel you belong in this environment because it's foreign to you. Yeah. Marisol Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Beyond Her Yes, and we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Marisol Maldonado Rodriguez is my guest. We're talking about reimagining pro-life ministry. Her book is called Beyond Her Yes, and it's a powerful plea for people who are looking for to make an impact in the pro-life community, but want to know if there's more to it than just convincing women not to abort their children. We do have a copy of Marisol's book to give away. Uh, actually, we have not one, not two, but three copies that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, a powerful pro-life testimony from Marisol Rodriguez today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Beyond Her Yes. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, more of this conversation with Marisol Maldonado-Rodriguez as the bottom line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. 
Marisol Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, her brand new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Marisol, you just touched on something that I want to circle back around on just quickly because I, I think it underscores how sometimes there's the, uh, what was it? I'm not a big fan of Voltaire, but I believe he was the one who said the, the sometimes the best is the enemy of the better. And the idea that, you know, if we're doing two good things and we have to choose between one or the other, sometimes if we pick the wrong good thing, then we wind up perpetuating whatever the problem is. And like you were describing the the reality that a lot of women who are coming to pregnancy resource centers, they're pregnant, they don't know what to do, they don't have, you know, means to do things. They also don't know how, what it's like to have a bank account, don't know what to you know, fill out a job application, that type of stuff. I mean, it really is that basic. But we're coming up on a time of year, and a lot of churches are going to get involved in this, where you see the toy drives and the food drives and the, you know, the Thanksgiving type of things. And those seem like very good and godly things, but it sounds like what you're asking us to do is say, hey, why don't we pivot from just doing those one-time only events to helping individuals become empowered to where they don't have to rely on those every year? Did I, did I, am I hearing that correctly? Oh, you are hearing it absolutely correctly. I mean, those this time of the year, it, it's a good time of year to get people motivated and do, you know, an act of service. That, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. Um But I just wish it was bigger than that, because let me tell you a little secret. These families, and I'm in it, I am in it. Some of the women that I serve, their children get dozens and dozens of toys. Do you know why? Because they go to the Salvation Army and get free toys, and Mm -hmm. they go to this for the the, the toys for tots, and they got free toys. And then when they go from organization to organization, and these kids, their tree is full of toys. You know, but here's the problem. That is a momentary thrill for a child. It does nothing for his future, you know, and if we could just take some of those resources, you know, I'm all for kids having toys. The way I grew up and, you know, in poverty, we each got one gift for Christmas. That's it. One gift under the tree. Nobody was giving us free toys. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that for the world because it taught me the value of that one gift. My mom really struggled to get us that one gift. And it's not a plethora, a ton of free toys that are poured in. And um, I just think that's a nice thing to give toys. We want every kid to have something. But the bigger thing is to help his mother understand the value of education. To help mm. mother understand the value of getting your kids to, to school on time, even when it's snowing and raining and it's cold out and you have to walk, you know, um, the value of bringing your children to church, right? Yep. So there are so many things that are more important. And I would tell your audience this: you will feel far more blessed by mentoring a single mom than you will ever be buying that one toy during Christmas and donating mm. it because mm-hmm. the relationship you're going to build with her um, is going to be priceless. And a lot of people ask me, they'll say, well, how long do you mentor women for? And I'm like, for as long as it takes, you know, we don't want to put an expiration date on right. that support. Right. You know, I, right. Personally, I've been mentoring the same, some women for up to eight years right now. Mm. I'm going on eight years now. Mm-hmm. Am I on the phone every day with them holding their hand? No, but it's just a, we're, we're, you know what? We became friends. She's no longer my job. She's no longer my mission. She's my friend. And you reach out to your friends and you connect and you check in and what's going on and how can I help you, right? How are the kids? And how does it work? So um, mentoring is really just doing life with somebody, being a part of her life. It eliminates loneliness. Mm. It eliminates depression. Yeah. And it's, it's so healthy for these women 
to have good role models that are not just modeling life, but also modeling what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Mm. So it's such a wonderful opportunity for for the church, for Christians, for retired people to pour some of that wisdom that they have into someone who's trying to make their way through life. And um, I just think it's such a blessing to to do this. It is a blessing. And I think that if people gave it a shot, it seems overwhelming and scary at first, but if you just give it a shot, you will see how quickly you find it rewarding. And um, it becomes a a practice, a regular part of your life. Mm. It's good to to see that muscle memory developing. And once you do it and you start doing it and do it some more, it becomes a part of who you are and it becomes a part of your faith and your witness. Marisol Rodriguez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Beyond Her Yes is the name of the book. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marisol, you've been mentioning, of course, the faith component that goes into the work that you do at the Renew Center and and, uh, and the ministry that you have here, too. But knowing that you grew up in what you describe as generational poverty, which is uh, uh, just it's it, it really hits you right between the eyes. You know, when you realize that uh, the, the patterns that we see are repeated. I, I remember encountering a friend who had gone, gone to law school. We were working on a mission project together, and she was recounting what it was like for her growing up in the South and coming from a family where everybody was on some kind of government assistance and she wanted to go to college and they said, why? I mean, what, what, yeah. what could you possibly gain? And, and she literally, she said, I found myself riding my bike 10 miles each way to a private school to stay focused on that. I got a part-time job so I could pay for it. No one in my family would support it. And now she goes, I'm kind yeah. of estranged from them because I wanted to, I mean, I, I saw what God had in store for me and they just could not wrap their minds around that, you know? And, and so that, that's a, that sounds like a problem that you run into all the time. Talk about how your faith plays a role in this. When did God get a hold of you growing up in the situation that you did? Yeah, you know what you said, you hit the nail on the head with that one, because when I told my mother I wanted to go to school, and mind you, my mother's children were the first generation to ever go to school, period. My mother mm. never went to school, and her her parents never went to school, and no one went to school. The first generation to go to school, and the first generation to graduate high school. So when I told my mom I wanted to go to college, she, she said the same thing. She said, what for? You already went for 13 years, like right, more? right. They don't understand. And this is why it's important that we we teach women these things, because as these children that they chose to have, right, they chose life for this child grows up and hopefully wants to go to college. She's not going to understand the purpose of it. You know, Mm -hmm. she's not going to understand that. So um, it's important to teach them the value of education. So to answer your question, well, my mom got saved when I was two years old, which was it's just good news for me. Yes, (laughs) um, I grew up. I grew up in a Christian home, whereas my siblings that are much older than me um, did not grow up. They, so they know my mother before Christ, you know, mm. and after Christ. I, I mm-hmm. only know her after Christ. So, um, so my mom got saved when I was two years old. And from that moment, she just she became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And she brought us to church, all of us. And, um, and it was church on Sunday, youth group on Wednesday, and something mm-hmm. else on Friday. And church mm-hmm. was, our, was our life, you know. Um, and the, the good news about that was that we just didn't go to church, but church became our family because my mom, I didn't have a father. My mother didn't have a husband. And so we always felt vulnerable and unprotected. But when you have the church family, not just accept you as a congregant, but as part of a family and they become that extended family to you, you know, um, that changes, that changed our lives because it was really the women at the church that taught my mother how to open a bank account that taught her to save 
have a little savings account for her daughter's wedding in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the men at church that took note that I had graduated high school and said to me, hey, Marisol, what are you going to do with your life now that you graduated? And the truth is, my answer was, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. what comes after mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. I wasn't raised to think that way. And um, and thankfully, someone, um, you know, took interest in me, helped me with a resume, helped me apply for a job, um, wrote me a letter of recommendation, actually drove me to my interview and waited for me to come out. And wow. that, that started me in a... 15-year career in the computer field that I would not have had if Mm. someone didn't say, hey, I wonder what's going on with that young girl that Mm -hmm. comes to church. She just graduated high school. What's she going to do with her life? I probably would have ended up just working in a supermarket or something. God knows what would have happened. But Mm -hmm. people who took notice and people who who became engaged in our lives, um, they they transformed it. So now I have four children that are some are college graduates. One is a Marine. One works in the in the catering industry. But I have four professionals that I raise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and it's only going to get better as generations um, come forth. You know. So this is what I mean about this work: helping that woman, supporting that woman that chose life. You have the opportunity to transform her life, that baby's life, and every generation that's going to come afterwards. So it is such a fulfilling mission to know that. We just don't help people choose life, but we help hopefully them get life abundant in Christ, right? That should always be a goal, but then also improve their life here on earth. So that young child growing up doesn't have to turn to the local gang members for community and for family and for support, but he could get that from the youth group, you know, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't Mm -hmm. have to jump from man to man to get support. She has a congregation that cares about her and supports her you know, and meet that need that she has so that she doesn't have to go and get into another relationship with somebody, no matter how temporary, just to have some sense of safety and security in her home. So there's so much that goes that's going on in the lives of these women that we don't see and we don't consider. And I think that when we don't stop to see, okay, she chose life, what's that life going to look like? What's that life of that baby coming going to look like? When we don't stop to consider that, Um, the results are tragic, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just the cycle keeps repeating. It just keeps repeating. And she may come back to your center multiple times pregnant and she'll choose life every time, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we're still not transforming her. Right. right? The cycle isn't being broken. Yeah. She's still in that cycle. isn't being broken. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is what a great resource. What a fantastic work that you're doing to help break this cycle of of generational poverty and and to get beyond just the yes, I'm going to keep my child. Now what? Uh, It's the now what part that makes Marissa uh, Maldonado Rodriguez's ministry so fascinating. Her book is called Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marissa, uh, Marisol, rather, where do we find you online? How of our listeners connect with you on social media oh yeah well i'm on facebook and instagram and uh you can find me if you you know marisol maldonado rodriguez you search on that name you, you will you will see me there and um also our, my website is renewlifecenternj.org and if you okay. visit that you could get information on my organization the book and also fill out a contact form if you want more information i would be happy to connect with you and show you the 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 system that we use that can be re- replicated you know it's yes. like anyone can do this 
um, we figured out a pretty good way to do it, and we'd be happy to share that with churches and individuals. Love it. I love it. Well, we'll put all those links up at thebottomlineshow.com in addition to the link for the book as well. Marisol Maldonado-Rodriguez, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thanks for the book, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, what a powerful resource and what a great uh, recommendation, too, from Marisol Maldonado-Rodriguez. Her book is called Beyond Her Yes, the idea that a woman saying, yes, I will choose life for my child. Now what? Reimagining pro-life ministry to empower women and support families in overcoming poverty. As Marisol said in our conversation, that's the number one issue that's facing a lot of these women who choose elective abortion. We might think, oh, I just don't want to be pregnant, but a lot of women that she works with literally don't want to be pregnant because they don't think they can afford another baby. This book, Beyond Her Yes, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. So from a California scientist who says, yeah, I didn't include all the information on climate change because I wanted to leave people with the impression that it's all man-made, that forest uh, management has nothing to do with saving trees and things because of wildfires. And then to a woman who says, yeah, I I had the courage to speak to the pro-life community and say, hey, church, let's not just stop once we get a woman to say, I'm not going to abort my child. Are there some other more practical ways that we can literally say no to the enemy and put up a fight against the world, but do so in a way that's loving and biblical? Uh, A very well-known Christian author, Kirk Cameron, uh, is entering into that fray. And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about a brand new book of his that he released just this week that is designed to bring healing and hope and really put that whole love your enemy into practice. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Marisol Maldonado-Rodriguez for a fascinating conversation and a great new book, too. Uh, She also generously gave us three copies of this book so I could give them away to you. The book is called Beyond Her Yes, taking uh, the step going beyond when a woman says, yes, I will keep my child. I will not abort that baby. Now what? Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty is the subtitle of this book. We have not one, not two, but three copies of it to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And of course, when I think about what Marisol is doing ministry-wise, I think about the outstanding work of Preborn. I'm so grateful that this week we actually met another goal. We raised a $15,000 to match the $15,000 gift that was uh, put up on our 12th anniversary last month. So thank you to everyone who made those donations possible. That means not one, but two more ultrasound machines will be donated to preborn clinics right here in the Southland. And uh, your donations made that possible. By the way, if you want to continue the giving, of course, we're going to encourage your giving right up through Thanksgiving and beyond. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. Or just go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner. Uh, you'll benefit from doing so for sure. You know, I was talking earlier in the segment about, right, early in the hour, I should say, about uh, the, uh, the doctor of uh, environmental sciences uh, who teaches at Johns Hopkins University who made headlines recently by basically admitting what we already do. Uh, Dr. Patrick Brown said he, this is the term, he narrowly focused his study 
on what causes climate change because he says the scientists feel pressure uh, to be published in prestigious articles and pu publications like Science and Nature, things like that. And so he left out a lot of stuff about other causes of wildfires and basically tried to leave those approving the funding with the impression that, yeah, those wildfires in Maui were because of climate change. The wildfires in Northern California because of climate change. And he said, well, that factored into some of it, but it's not the only reason why it happened. You got Marisol Mar Rodriguez on the other side of the equation saying, hey, pro-lifers, if you support pre-porn, that's great. But why not take it a step further? What about that woman who says, the only reason I was considering abortion was because I don't think I have the money, I don't have the resourcing to actually raise a child. Okay, so what about, you know, um, how, how do we help women with housing, with education, with uh, employment, with, uh, if they are going to release the child for adoption, are we, are we doing all we can to make sure that she's getting the information she needs about legal assistance for doing the adoption? That, that's important. But yeah, but what about those people that I come in contact with, Roger, you might say, that don't like what we're doing? You know, they, they, they don't want to hear a Christian talking about this and that and the other thing uh, th that are these Christian values. You know, on the left right now, they're bemoan NPR was bemoaning the fact recently. They did a whole hit piece on Alliance Defending Freedom. And they said, can you believe these people want to deny women access to abortion care? <laughs> of course, what they were talking about was the push by ADF to stop the di distribution over the telephone of uh, mifepristone, which is the first part of the uh, two-pill abortion process. By They call it the, uh, the medical abortion, where you starve your baby to death. Yeah, that's nothing inhumane about that, right? But it, again, the left would leave out the good parts with regard to, and I say good parts in air quotes, as to what's really going on. So it would make sense then that we as Christians, ultimately, we get painted into the corner of being defensive. We're always mad at something that's happening in the culture. Why do these people keep picking on us? Biblical values are the best values. And so we kind of take this fight or flight mode and we wind up attacking the people who, in all honesty, need the help the most. As we continue, I want to talk about a guy who has literally seen his fair share of criticism ever since he announced he was a born-again Christian while starring on a hit TV show, that he got married at a very young age and insisted on wearing his wedding ring on set, and he carried that through uh, 15 or so years later in doing a faith-based film for Christian producers this time, and he said there's a scene at the end of the movie where he's supposed to kiss his wife, and he said, I don't want to kiss the TV or movie wife, I want to kiss my own wife, and so his own wife actually put on a wig and wore the costume of the character he was playing opposite. And when you see him kissing the woman who's his character's wife in the movie, he's really kissing his actual wife. The guy's Kirk Cameron. And on the other side of this break, Kirk released another book this week. He's been writing children's books recently. But this one is special. This new book is special because he said, quite frankly, in the face of all the criticism that he has received, for you know, trying to do this, let's read a book that's going to help kids and these public library things. And of course, everybody's you know, oh, you can't do that. You're filled with hate because you want to shut down Drag Queen Story Hour and stuff like that. By the way, whatever happened to Drag Queen Story Hour? Did it, are we over that now, as a society? I'm just asking. Anyway, Kirk Cameron on the other side of this break, we're going to get to a brand new book of his called The Fox, The Fair, and the Invention Scare, and it shows how a couple of different breeds of animals 
can end a long-standing family feud and wind up healing their community in the process with courtesy, compassion, and kindness as opposed to angry rhetoric and repressive laws and hate speech. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year, and and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we've got just a few moments left for you to call in. We've got three different copies of this great new book by Marisol Rodriguez uh, that focuses on how we can go beyond a woman in a pro-life situation, or I guess I should say a crisis pregnancy situation, who's being told, don't abort your child. Don't do that. Okay, she says, okay, yes. I'm saying yes to life for my child. Now what? Marisol's book is called Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families to Overcome Poverty. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, hats off to Kirk Cameron. Hoping to have him back on the program here very soon. For those of you listening within an earshot of Dr. James Dobson's family talk, Kirk does have some time with Dr. Dobson lined up next month, and I can't wait to hear what those programs uh, will entail, but we know they'll be focusing in part on Kirk's new book that just came out this Monday called The Fox, The Fair, and The Invitation Scare, or The Invention Scare, rather. Uh, the, the, basically, the book is about the giraffes and foxes in a certain area, and they've been feuding with each other for generations. And so the giraffes and foxes decide they want to stop feuding. They want to heal things up a little bit. And what they wind up doing is not only healing their own familial wounds, but they also wind up bringing the community together as well. The weapons of war, quote unquote, in this case, are courtesy, compassion, and kindness, which are all biblical attributes. And so, you know, what Kurt wrote about in this book, he gave an interview to Fox News Digital recently. He said, you know, I know you've got the Israeli conflict, you've got the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. And he said, we've got kids who are watching all this too. Kurt and his wife, uh, Chelsea Noble, the actress, um, have six children. And, I mean, they're older now. I mean, if you can believe it, Mike Seaver's 54 years old. Got gray in his beard and everything. Um, he said, you got to understand that when we have these differences of opinion, whether they're political uh, or uh, emotional or uh, just, even just, you know, fanatical, 
kids are watching this. And when he said, you've got Stuart the giraffe and Asher the fox, and they are going to compete at the Hive Haven Invention Fair. And then it turns out that when the families get together at the whole thing, um, the families go at it at the fair. And Stuart and Asher sit there in horror and watch as both of their inventions are destroyed. And at that point, these two youngsters say, enough is enough. We've got to figure this out. So what happens then is the two, I mean, I'm, spoiler alert, they two join forces. They have to reinvent something for the invention convention. And they work together as a team. And in doing so, their families come together and realize that they only reason that they were fighting in the past is because they had been fighting in previous generations. When the future generations get a hold of these squabbles, they start going, hey, why are we fighting in the first place? And no one can ever remember, right? Uh, this book is up at thebottomlineshow.com as well as the article as well. Um, it's interesting because Kirk Cameron is, uh, I, he's becoming quite the young man. I think it's, it's just absolutely wonderful to think about what happens here because you know, oftentimes it's really easy for us as Christians to say, I met other believers and we work together so well and this is really great. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless the ones who curse you. Aren't we to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Of course, if we are children of the living God, then we are going to be ridiculed by people who are not. And we shouldn't expect them to come lovingly into our embrace. But we don't throw our faith away just to try to attract a couple of unbelievers. Quite the opposite. Um, Kirk Cameron's new book will be a big blessing to a lot of families who might have this as their familial story as well. We'll put the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Broadcast and Podcast. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues.